Welcome to Current Radio's Science Station. Please enjoy today's selection of science news. Charlotte, imagine being able to walk alongside dinosaurs to see them as they were millions of years ago. Sounds like something out of a science fiction movie, doesn't it? It certainly does, Diego, but it's not as far-fetched as it sounds. The Houston Museum of Natural Science has made it possible, at least virtually, with their new exhibition, Dinosaur Discoveries, a holographic adventure. Ah, the power of technology. So this isn't your typical museum exhibit with fossil displays and information plaques. It's an immersive 30-minute movie that takes viewers back to the Cretaceous period, right? Yes, and it's not just any movie. It's a holographic journey. When you step into the hollow theater, you're transported to a time when dinosaurs roamed the Earth. And the best part? No 3D glasses required. That's impressive. But it's not just about the visual spectacle, is it? This cinematic event is also an educational journey, providing insights into the anatomy, behavior, and evolutionary history of dinosaurs. Absolutely. It's a blend of science and entertainment, which I think is a fantastic way to engage audiences. And the folks behind this are no strangers to holography. They've used it to bring legendary artists like Buddy Holly and Whitney Houston back to life on stage. So they've taken the same technology and applied it to a new medium. I can imagine that must have presented a unique set of challenges, given the larger space and different layers of content. Indeed. But they've managed to create a multidimensional experience that's both seamless and unique, and they chose Houston for a reason. The city's Museum of Natural Science is one of the most visited in the nation, with a diverse audience and a strong reputation in science education. And they didn't just wing it. They worked with scientific consultants and advisors, as well as the museum's paleontology department, to ensure the details in the movie were accurate. They even visited one of the largest bone beds in North America for research. That's what I love about this. It's not just a spectacle. It's grounded in science. David Perry, an associate curator of paleontology at the museum, said it best. Dinosaurs are wonderful ambassadors for science with kids. So if it gets kids interested in science, that's a good thing. Absolutely. And this fusion of education, technology, and entertainment could be a game changer. It's not just about bringing the past to life, but also about sparking curiosity and encouraging learning. Who knows what doors this could open for future exhibitions. I couldn't agree more, Diego. The possibilities are endless. And it's not just about the past, but also about the future. This could be the start of a whole new way of experiencing and learning about our world. From the prehistoric past to pressing present concerns, let's now turn our attention to more recent events. While we've been talking about bringing dinosaurs to life, world leaders have been grappling with a different kind of colossal challenge, climate change. In fact, the recent COP28 climate summit in Dubai has brought some significant developments to light. Let's delve into the details. Charlotte, we're discussing the recent COP28 climate summit in Dubai today. The world's governments have pledged to transition away from fossil fuels, a significant shift from previous declarations. Indeed, Diego. Lisa Shipper, a developmental geographer at the University of Bonn, regards this as a major step it's the first time such a commitment has been made at a COP summit. However, she also points out that the term transitioning away could be open to interpretation. Right. It doesn't necessarily mean eliminating fossil fuels. 
Phasing out would have been a more definitive term, indicating an end to the use of fossil fuels. It's a subtle difference, but a significant one. Absolutely. Interestingly, the United Nations Framework Convention on Climate Change, the agency organizing the COP meetings, declared this as the beginning of the end of the fossil fuel era. Yet Saudi Arabia's energy minister stated that this wouldn't affect their crude oil export. That's a key point, Charlotte. Mizan Khan, an environmental scientist, highlights the challenge of COP meetings as decisions are made through consensus among over 190 countries. The requirement for unanimous agreement is seen by some, like climate scientist Charles Fletcher, as a fatal flaw in the COP process. It's a complex issue, isn't it? Al Gore, the former U.S. vice president, even suggested that decisions should be agreed upon by 75% of nations instead of requiring unanimity. The Alliance of Small Island States, or AOSIS, which are most vulnerable to climate change, weren't even present when the final deal was agreed. They were coordinating the 39 small island developing states that are disproportionately affected by climate change. They've been advocating for a target to see global emissions peak by 2025. But they've also expressed disappointment, stating that it's not enough to reference the science and then make agreements that ignore what the science is telling us. And then there's the issue of climate finance. The COP28 started optimistically with a pledge of over $700 million to a new loss and damage fund. However, Shipper described the final text on climate adaptation as a very dangerous straitjacket for adaptation finance. It seems that while there are steps in the right direction, there's still a lot of work to be done. The big chunk of the climate finance discussion is now expected to take place at COP29 next year in Baku, Azerbaijan. We'll have to wait and see what happens. From the complexities of global climate agreements to groundbreaking advancements in technology, our next story takes us into the realm of the future. Imagine a world where human brain tissue and electronic circuits come together to form a hybrid biocomputer capable of tasks such as voice recognition. Sounds like science fiction, doesn't it? Well, it's not. Let's delve into this fascinating development. Charlotte, today we're diving into a fascinating piece of technology that seems straight out of a science fiction novel. Sounds intriguing, Diego. What's this about? Researchers have built a hybrid biocomputer, Charlotte. It's a mix of lab-grown human brain tissue and conventional electronic circuits. It can perform tasks like voice recognition. Wait, human brain tissue in a computer? That's a bit hard to wrap my head around. It's mind-boggling, isn't it? This system, dubbed BrainAware, uses organoids, which are essentially bundles of human cells that can mimic organs. In this case, they're morphed into neurons. So like mini-brains? That's quite the leap forward. And what's the goal here? Exactly, mini-brains. The researchers aim to build a bridge between AI and these organoids. Some AI systems function similarly to the brain, with interconnected nodes forming a neural network. So they're trying to harness the power of the brain to enhance AI capabilities? That's the idea, Charlotte. To create BrainAware, they placed a single organoid onto a plate with thousands of electrodes, connecting the brain tissue to electric circuits. They then converted input information into an electric pulse pattern that was delivered to the organoid. And I suppose the organoid's response was then picked up by a sensor and decoded using machine learning. Exactly. They tested BrainAware's capabilities by training it on 240 recordings of eight people speaking. 
the organoid generated a unique neural activity pattern for each voice, which allowed the AI to identify the speaker with 78% accuracy. That's impressive, but it's not just about enhancing AI, right? This could have significant implications for neuroscience research as well. Absolutely, Charlotte. The technology could allow researchers to replicate the architecture and function of a working brain in ways that simple cell cultures can't. There's potential to use BrainAware to model and study neurological disorders, like Alzheimer's disease, or to test the effects of different treatments. But there must be some challenges in using living cells for computing, right? You're spot on, Charlotte. One major issue is keeping the organoids alive. They must be grown and maintained in incubators, which becomes more challenging as the organoids get larger. And for more complex tasks, larger brains will be needed. So what's next for BrainAware? Well, the researchers plan to investigate whether and how brain organoids can be adapted to complete more complex tasks. They're also working on making them more stable and reliable, which is crucial if they're to be incorporated into the silicon microchips used in AI computing. From the cutting edge of biotechnology, we now turn our gaze to the global stage. Let's shift our focus from the lab to the bustling streets of a nation that's making its mark in the world. We're talking about the world's most populous country, where the struggle to develop its economy, especially in the fields of science and technology, is a topic of global interest. So let's dive into the story of India's growth and the challenges it faces. Charlotte, let's talk about India. It's now the world's most populous country, surpassing China. But there's a struggle to develop its economy, especially in science and technology investment. Right, Diego. India's Human Development Index, a United Nations metric that measures human development in terms of health, lifespan, education, and standard of living, tells us that India is lagging behind high-income countries such as the United States. And it's not just about the population size. It's about how well the country is equipped to handle and nurture that population. Now, if we look at India's science spending, it's below the global average, but... But it's been consistent, right? As the economy has grown over the past two decades, India's R&D spending has remained steady. That's a positive sign. Indeed, but a key indicator of a science-based society is the proportion of research investment from private sources. Here, India falls short. However, let's not forget that India is the world's largest outsourcer of programmers and produces 60% of the world's vaccines. And in August, they joined an exclusive club, becoming only the fourth country to make a soft landing on the moon. That's a significant milestone. Absolutely. When it comes to education, India has a smaller proportion of people with a university degree than many other nations. But... But those who do get an undergraduate degree are much more likely to complete a PhD. In fact, India leads the world in this, with around 5% of graduates going on to complete a doctoral degree. That's a fascinating statistic. And it's worth noting that India is one of the world's most prolific publishers of research, trailing only the United States and China. So there's a lot of potential. No doubt, Diego. But the key question remains, how can India leverage this potential to further its economic development? More funding for research could certainly help, but it's a complex issue that requires a multifaceted solution.